0: Alright, welcome everybody. Uh, My name is Michael Otteson. I am a PhD student in philosophy at the University of Kansas. David Thomas is my co-founder of Warren's Talks, also a PhD student at the University of Kansas. Uh, We are interested in public discourse and dialogue, and so we founded Warren's Talks as a way a kind of hopefully expanding discussions about big questions of public interest kind of beyond academic settings where, you know, we can have discussions between academics and non-academics. So we've hosted a number of events and we have a blog, uh, you can find previous events there, uh, information about future ones, uh, but we've also just had posts about, uh, issues that I think are of interest to the general public, which I suppose brings us to our event tonight. Um, We are, I think, living in an age uh, increasingly defined by artificial intelligence uh, in terms of uh, this has been in the news politically, but of course infects almost uh, or or blesses almost every aspect of our life. Um, And so uh, I thought it would be a good idea to have a conversation about this today. And to that end, I'm very pleased to introduce Uh, our two panelists here who are going to tell us a little bit about artificial intelligence and who are both very good scholars who work specifically on questions of artificial intelligence. So this is David Minajay. he is uh, in his fourth year of a PhD program at the University of Kansas and his uh, doctoral work involves creating uh, a memory system Art for artificial intelligence systems,
1: specifically one based on probability. So he's in the engineering department here.
0: Then we have Ramon Alvarado. Uh, he is uh, finishing up his PhD uh, at the University of Kansas in philosophy, and he deals specifically with, with issues of epistemology as they relate to big data and epistemic opacity and issues of artificial intelligence, and he just uh, secured a job at the University of Oregon as well, so we were sad to see him go, but very excited uh, uh, for his future prospects and research down the line. So, without further ado, uh, you're first on the blog, David. So why don't why don't you start us off? Why don't you tell us a little bit? So I guess. I have, there are so many questions uh, that, that we could talk about, but but what is intelligence? What is artificial intelligence? Tell us a little bit. More. All right. So thank
2: you for having me, Michael. I really appreciate being here. Um, I think that in general, if we were to consider artificial intelligence, I think we would say that intelligence is about information processing, and not only how information is processed, but what is the structure and the function of the mind. And once we understand that, then we can ask ourselves, well, what kinds of things are capable of having intelligence? And if we look around the world, uh, we can see that, okay, there are people, people have intelligence, um, the animals have intelligence as well, but to a lesser degree. Um, And I think the key question here is, do artifacts have intelligence? Um, And I think that it is possible, in fact, for artifacts to have intelligence. I think that that's what we mean by the term artificial intelligence. Um, And because of that, I think we can kind of of break that down a little bit and and think about, okay, well, what would it mean for an artifact to have the qualities of intelligence? Well, it would mean that it would have the ability to process information. Um, but not like in a pattern recognition way, which is, I think, part of intelligence, but I think also um, able to engage in abstract thought, like humans can. So when we say that humans are intelligent, we mean that humans are able to understand the world, perceive the world, conceptualize the world, understand it in an abstract way that goes uh, beyond immediate recognition. Uh, engage in multi-step reasoning, and carry out complex tasks because of our ability uh, to reason abstractly. And for artificial intelligence systems to, I mean, for artifacts to have intelligence, it means that they have the capacity to think in that way. Um, And I think that around the 1950s, 1956, Computers will realize, well, they, they're not just number crunchers. Computers are symbol manipulators. They can understand the world, uh, not just from a n- numeric perspective, like a, the, the actual bits of information, but they can actually make abstractions and encode those as symbols. And then, given this symbolic information, they can actually process those symbols and achieve goals. They can be given strategies. Um, and those strategies, they can empl- employ them in general, generic ways uh, to achieve their ends. And I think that that is what we mean by artificial intelligence. And in fact, around the nineteen fifties, mid nineteen fifties, we, um, you know, we were able to produce artifacts that were able to think like in general fashions. So. Um, you know, one program I'm thinking about is called the General Problem Solver which was able to uh, you could give it a goal, you could give it strategies, and you can give it a representation of the world and it can solve problems for you. Um, and I think that's what we mean by artificial intelligence. Fantastic, thank you so much. I'm to hear
3: your thoughts. Yeah, so, so I mean, one of the, the things that I have in mind in my agenda for the next, you know, few years is to kind of demystify the conversation regarding uh, artificial intelligence and demystify it in two ways. The first one, demystify the practice, right, because there's a lot of unknown variables as to what the practitioner actually does. So we hear in the media, there's artificial intelligence behind Spotify, there's artificial intelligence behind your news feed on Facebook, there's artificial intelligence all over the place. And we keep hearing this, but even practitioners sometimes forget to tell us, wait, what do you mean by artificial intelligence? And what do you mean when you do it, right, when you create this system? And so, One of my my big goals in the next few years is to try try to demystify the practice and and bring about an understanding of artificial intelligence as a data science, which ultimately means that what are these systems that are, like you said, information processing systems, what they do is process data, what does it mean to process data? Well, you know, they go through columns and rows of data points and they do regressions, and those regressions you know, bring about relationships or they can assess whether this item inside the data belongs here, belongs there, they sort data too. Um, so ultimately, these are statistical analyses done automa- in automated fashion, right? They're just statistical analysis done with a machine. And that's very important for us to understand because a lot of the times, when we think about AI, we immediately anthropomorphize the thing, we want to use human terms, we want to use things like names like intelligence, thought, learning, and those terms to me are slightly misguiding just because we don't understand the underlying structure so once you demystify the practice you also demystify the imaginary surrounding that practice, right? So if you think about a little quote from 1969 from Herbert Simon, right, that, there's a quote in, that, in his book, The Science of the Artificial, and it's actually a footnote, right? And the footnote says, my friends, was he at MIT or Carnegie Mellon? Carnegie Mellon. He was at Carnegie Mellon, so he says, my friends are at MIT have started using the phrase artificial intelligence to refer to our complex information processing systems. We think this is silly, but the phrase might stick. Right? <laughs> and that was in the 1960s, the phrase was used since 1951, right, 1952 and 1956, so it was like 10 years after we started using artificial intelligence, he was still doubtful of the term. He was like, eh, they want to sound more appealing, but you know, it's kind of silly. We call it blah, 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 like, you know, these big names. So again, what I want us to imagine is that if Simon had had his way and complex processing information systems was actually the thing, the name that we call these systems, how many of us would have thought about robots? How many of us would have thought about humanoid humanoid or anthropomorphized properties, right? Not a lot of us. We would have thought more these strange machines that process data. So again, once you demystify the practice and you go back to its initial underlying works, right, you, you get a different vision of what things we should worry about, right? So now, th- being getting to those two goals, right, so demystify the practice, then demystify the imaginary, then we can start looking at, wait, okay, so if these systems are just data analysis, what should we worry about? Because we should definitely not, you know, we're not thinking Terminator here, we're not thinking, you know, Westworld here, we're thinking data processing, we're thinking vast amounts of items being in rows and columns. How threatening can that be? Well, then that's when we start realizing, okay, well, the ethical consequences of spreadsheets, right, the ethical consequences of vast amounts of data are going to be different from robots or from machines that we imagine when we when we use the word artificial intelligence. What are those worries? Well for me, there are a couple of them. The first one is that these data analyses have a lot of repercussions. They have a lot of glitches that when we do them by hand, they be they might be minimized because you know we're doing them by hand. We we, we, we don't have the ability to process trillions of bits, right? Or trillions of yeah, yeah, vast amounts of data on people. We don't have that ability. But when you do it with a machine, the implications of that is the error magnifies. and So we're going to have a lot of errors. Now, you use those same systems in data that has to do with, every, with everyday life, like either medical data or surveillance data or, you know, risk assessment data, and you're going to have all of those errors have actual repercussions on society. Those are the threats of doing the data processing properly, right? When you automate it with artificial intelligence systems, those threats become even more, yeah, more, you know, dangerous, I would say that. The second challenge that I see is opacity. Opacity has to do with the idea that a lot of these systems are so complex they process information in such a fast manner and they do it through, you know, and they process so much information that there's no one human, there's no one group of humans, there's no one that can fully understand how these processes work, where the glitches are, what the kinds of mistakes they make, that they make, and it's really hard to have error assessment on software systems like artificial intelligence, so if your systems are opaque It's really hard to see whether they're actually reliable. It's really hard to fight against a system that you have no access. So if you think about artificial intelligence systems that are being used to assess whether you should get parole or not, which in the United States is being used a lot, right? There's a system that goes through the data of lots of inmates. They look at their zip codes, they look at whether their parents have been in jail before, they look at their poverty, they look at all kinds of data, okay? They do some regressions on that, they do some data analysis and the artificial intelligence system says this person has 72% chance of coming back to jail, so yeah, no parole, right? When you look at a system like that and you want to find out whether the system made an error, but the system is of such complexity that not even the creators Have access to sift through each one of the lines of code, then it's really hard to fight it. So opacity is going to be super problematic in the future, not just for software in general, but particularly for artificial intelligence software, because that is even more complex than regular software. The third problem that I see, or the third challenge that I see in artificial intelligence is going to be, for me, the deepest problem, the deepest ethical problem, which has to do with autonomy and agency. A lot of these systems are beautiful because they work, so they're so good at doing regressions, they're so good at predicting whether an item, let's say a person, has a probability of buying this product or buying that product. They're so good at even assessments like whether you will commit a crime again or not, right? They're actually better than a lot of us humans. They're actually better in the sense that sometimes they don't even share the same biases that we have. They have their own biases, but they don't share the ones that we usually have, right? And a lot of people seem to think that because they're better, then we ought to delegate a lot of our deliberations and a lot of choices to them. Now, I think that even when those things sound beautiful and they sound nice, they are ethically challenging. Why? Because we're giving away something that I find fundamental in human nature, which is choice and deliberation. And little by little, when I let my Spotify choose the next song for me, I just gave a little bit. It doesn't sound that bad, but I just gave a little bit of what makes life meaningful to me, let's say personally. I like discovery. Well, that discovery is gone, because I don't dis- I don't go and discover, they just, that's being done for me. Let's say I'm on a Tuesday night, I don't know what to eat, and I go to one of my apps and tell me, look, it's Tuesday, probably need carbs, why don't you just order a pizza, right? I Again, I gave it a little bit of freedom that I used to have, that I would enjoy, blah, blah, blah. And little by little, they don't look like a lot of sacrifices. In fact, it looks like this technology is making my life easier and better, but my fear is that without noticing, we're going to give so much away of our everyday autonomy and agency that, you know, in 50 years to 100, we will be a species that no longer partakes in decision-making because the systems that we've built actually know better than us. So it's like we're building this huge parent and we're not even the teenagers were the toddlers within it, right? Um, so this parental system, that it will take away some of our some of our most cherished values, at least in, in the West. Um, so again, just to recap, right? I want to see artificial intelligence by what it actually is, a data science, and I want to reassess the conversation instead of worrying about whether my car is going to run over five people versus one, or whether we should be worrying about um, just Minimal harm in industry. I want to reshape the conversation and start talking about what does what can spreadsheets do to us that we should worry about? Credit worthiness, so citizen worthiness. All of those things are gonna be threatened by spreadsheets on steroids, which is what I think artificial intelligence is, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much.
2: If I could just yeah, offer a... so I. With the with the comments that you made about the ethical issues with artificial intelligence, particularly data processing systems, I think I I largely agree with those in the sense that if you have some kind of like mindless system that can just number crunch and pick out statistical patterns, yeah, you might have a problem because you you know might have like bias baked into your data set. There's no way that you can know that uh, you know ahead of time, but I do think that there's a slightly more fundamental issue that I think I want to focus on, mm-hmm. which is what you said is artificial intelligence systems is about data science, and I don't believe that's true. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that data science is about some sort of machine learning algorithm, or some sort of algorithm that processes data to extract knowledge. However, I don't believe that knowledge is, intell- is what it means to be intelligent. Right. Having knowledge is only part of what it means to be intelligent. Mm-hmm. I think the other part is how do you process that, how do you use that knowledge in in, in principled, organized ways mm-hmm. to achieve goals? Tasks, yeah. Yes. Um, I think that that's the key difference, right? I don't think that in the early days of AI, we had billions and billions mm-hmm. and billions of data sets yeah. to just munch. Mm-hmm. We had people designing what they call cognitive architectures. They mm-hmm. were specifying what is the structure of the mind and how does the mind function, meaning what are the, how do these different components work together so that one system can coordinate its actions to achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. I think that that is one, what intelligence is, and two, artificial intelligence is about reproducing that on an artifact, mm-hmm. mainly computers. Yeah. Now, I concede your point about, okay, we, we, can, we can go crazy with this machine learning stuff, but I think that in the early days, learning was, for instance, these, these systems, right, they, they, they have data with these rows and columns, right, and they, they can basically learn a pattern. Mm-hmm. And once they learn that pattern, they can recognize new instances of the pattern. But if you, if you think about it, pattern recognition is not the entirety of intelligence, well, right? right? Dogs and cats do very well mm-hmm. at PG's pattern recognition. Exactly. PG's and so if I think about it right, pattern recognition isn't something that is um, indicative of human intelligence. What's indicative of human intelligence is our ability to think abstractly, our ability to see a pattern and think about that pattern beyond the perception. right? So for instance, um, the ability, for for example, to understand an English sentence, not just the words that compose that sentence, but what is the meaning of the sentence and what should I do with that? Um, All of these go beyond learning and beyond pattern recognition. Um, I think that I can kind of make that point more clear uh, if we think about asking our intelligent systems to do really complex tasks. Right. Like I think that you know, you know, deciding whether or not to put somebody on parole or not is a, is a complex task. However, you only need one kind of data, which is, well, well we're doing it with one kind of data. Right? You have everything in a table, uh, you know, rows and columns. However, for instance, if you think about driverless car technology, those systems, they have to integrate information from multiple modalities. They have cameras, they have rangefinders, they have GPS, and as soon as you start talking about integrating information into a common representation, then you have to think about, how do I process this in an organized way? Mm-hmm. And once you do that, then you are in the area of what I believe is artificial intelligence, yeah, yeah. not just the ability to... Recognize patterns. Mm-hmm.
3: So, so, I mean, I think you're right in, in, in that I was being slightly, you know, I, I wouldn't say controversial just to push the conversation forward, right? In saying that artificial intelligence systems are just columns and rows and spreadsheets on steroids. Because to a certain extent, what happens is that big data analytics is that. Mm-hmm. And then you have machine learning algorithms that recognize patterns on the big data analytics, right? Sure. And then you have artificial intelligence algorithms that then choose actionable procedures from the machine learning algorithms onto novel situations, right? So in that sense, there, there is a third layer. But I also want to make sure that we understand that at all three layers, statistics is what is at Work right. So you might want to use neural networks, for example, mm-hmm. right? You want to use neural networks. What is a neural network? Ultimately, you have the edges and the nodes, right? These are sort of they call neural networks because they're they're just networks with little mm-hmm. tiny mm-hmm. nodes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Each one of the nodes by which you process information is u- ultimately going to be a Bayesian multivariate function mm-hmm. of regression analysis, sure. right? So yes. it, it, again, it seems like statistics is what drives the learning statistics. When we say learning, learning is doing a regression, parsing your data and seeing whether it fits here, fits there, fits there. It doesn't fit here, okay, it's probably there. Boom, 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 do it again. Mm-hmm. Fits there, fits here, fits oh, fits here, it's probably there. Do it mm-hmm. so many times that then you know for sure 80% probability that that thing that didn't fit here fits there for mm-hmm. the next time, right? That's what learning is. And again, we use learn words like learning. We use words like uh, thinking. We use learned like, like perception. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back and say, what do you mean by learning? Oh, I mean a statistical regression or a logical regression because that's the only thing that the system does. So that's one thing, right? The second one is that I think that when you look at a self-driving car, like you mentioned, right, you will have all of these different systems from, with what is called, I guess, diverse and heterogeneous data, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you have a camera that does depth and angle perception, because actually, you know, as you know, artificial intelligence cameras in vehicles do not look like us, so they don't see the way we do, because they don't care about color sometimes, they don't care about, you know, a lot of things Mm -hmm. that we care about, Mm -hmm. they care about angles and depth, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have that. And then from that camera, you also have another kind of you know, sensor that is it's kind of calculating whether you deviated from the previous trajectory mm-hmm. and whether you deviated from the probable, so, so from the positive trajectory, right? right? And then you have other things, like you have motion sensors, you have like a lot of sensors, now, And then you tell me, you put them together And that's when maybe we're talking about an artificial intelligence system because it's not just like, oh, columns and rows, data analysis. But no, we have vision from the camera, Mm -hmm. we have motion from the sensors, Mm -hmm. and we have speed and other things, right? Now, I wanna bring it back again. It's like, you know what that camera is doing again? Rows and columns of data. You know what that sensor down there is doing? Rows and columns Mm of data. So again, it seems like we're just driving a statistics machine. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and so, just because you put statistics machines, different statistics machines together, doesn't doesn't undo the fact that they're still just statistics machines. Okay.
2: Yes. Um, but can let me let me take
3: take that take this
2: example right where you left it. So you have this driverless car integrates all this information from lots of different places. My point is, you still need a control strategy. Right? That car needs to know, how do I process this information to achieve my goal? For example, so let's say that I'm a passenger and I'm late right, to my flight. I need to go somewhere and my driverless car is, you know, my driverless car is taking me there. The driverless car, might, because it knows I'm late, for example, mm-hmm. it might have to deliberate about, okay, well... Should I follow the rules of traffic and get David to the airport late? Or should I not stop at red lights and get David to the mm-hmm. airport on time? Maybe, you know, I scare a couple people, you know, here and there. But, you know, at least everybody, you know, that kind of thought is not, um, that control strategy is not necessarily, not tied to any machine learning algorithm. Mm-hmm. It's about, Again, you know, control strategy, right? It doesn't rely on data. It's about uh, what are the, uh, I don't want to say rules, but I want to say procedures and representations that allow, that afford us the ability to mm-hmm. do
3: coordinated action. So, yeah, I, you know, know, yeah. so I mean, I, just a quick, mm-hmm. come, so I, think, I think you're right. I mean, I, <laughs> and I think maybe the question that we will be asking, like my, Michael asked, and hopefully, you know, anybody that wants to jump in, please do, um, is... You know whether whether what I'm saying that these statistic systems are ultimately capable of giving rise to an intelligent mm-hmm. entity, mm-hmm. right? I think that that's the deeper question. Mm. Um, before we get there, though, I I would like for for most of us to understand these underlying structures of statistics mm-hmm. that drive each one of those elements that you've done. Now, whether those things can give rise to intelligent entities, oh, great, uh, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe. But I think, at least for me, it's very important for us to ground back the conversation because, you know, it has been hijacked by so many anthropomorphized fears, right, the conversation on AI, that the minute we talk about autonomous vehicles, or the minute we talk about AI, we think either robots, or we think as a version of the trolley problem in which the car may run over five people versus one baby mm-hmm. or stuff like that, right? And i want to go back and say you know, we shouldn't fear artificial intelligence taking over in that way. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't imagine um, Terminator. Mm-hmm. But you know what we should imagine? The weight has already taken over, right? So, And you think about what has artificial intelligence already taken over that's one of the most important pieces of our civilization. Finance. There's absolutely no financial procedure that is not driven by artificial intelligence systems, right? These transactions happen so fast with so much information that no single human can do it. There's no stockbrokers anymore in the old way from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. They don't exist like, in the floor doing that stuff. It's usually computers Is driven by these kinds of systems in such a way that sometimes the most important thing that a stockbroker can do is to buy real estate that's closer to the wires (laughs) just so that he can beat the other stockbrokers by a mini millisecond with his computers, with his artificial intelligence systems that have optimal strategies for transactions. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's finance, like, that's global finance that's no longer under human control, right? Right. right? I want us to imagine that scenario because that's exactly where AI is already taking over, right? Um, and, and again, that's not to undermine what you're saying, mm-hmm. it's just sort of like I believe it's important for us to ground back and understand the technology as statistical implemented Methods and second, see where it already is a threat ethically and epistemically or epistemologically and um, socially. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So I came
4: here for the robots. So I'm going to go back. Great. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So if we can agree that Terminator is a system designed to. uh, with a goal of eliminating, you know, humans, right? Can, 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 can we agree on that?
3: Sure. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Terminator 1 or 2? <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, I'm not well-versed enough okay. to Because <laughs> the second one, he came to save humanity, <laughs> right? Yes, uh,
3: uh, ultimate is, goal okay, of some yeah, Terminator yes. robots. Yeah, yeah, okay, but I think well, on
4: a basic level, we can agree that those robots are designed with the goal of eliminating humans, right? Um, and so you know listening to the conversation we've got you know you're talking about data crunching so you've got the data going into the Terminator he's uh, uh, perceiving the data around him you know he's got trees he's got people you know he's not going after the trees um, and he's going after the people so he can perceive that but then ultimately once all the data comes in uh, the Terminator makes a decision that is action-oriented to go kill that person and eliminate mm-hmm. them, right? Now we're talking about um, auto- uh, um, uh, Autonomous cars, same idea. They're just not trying to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. And you brought up that, 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 um, that um, uh, Dilemma where you've got a tr- car coming down the path, and you've got to decide between a group or one mm-hmm. um, and, and you're saying that we should not be worried about that mm-hmm. scenario But you've got companies like Tesla with automated cars that are exactly in that position. You know, I'm having a hard time following your point that those cars are merely data crunchers when they're making decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be sitting in the passenger seat of that car um, and it's, you know, it doesn't strike me as merely a spreadsheet doing regressions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what do you, I'd like to see you address that issue.
3: Well, I mean, that's exactly my point. It is a data, a, a spreadsheet doing regressions on a myriad of problems, right? A myriad of tasks with a myriad of sensors, right? And ultimately, some of the, the, the data crunching is which lives are worth more or less, according to my programming, or according to my data, or which, which one of the two is more, less likely to, ca- to cause more damage. Those deliberations are weights, and, and, and they can be numeric weights, right? They could be sort of just five lives versus one. That's a math problem, right? Which one would you go? Would well, you go for the one because it's less than five, right? Now, why is that deliberation usually fleshed out that way? If you're an ethicist, if you study ethics, you're going to realize that there's already a a philosophical bias there. One is that these problems and these rules are guided by people that study utilitarianism. Utilitarianism just tells you whatever gives you the most utility whatever causes the least harm, whatever, blah, 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 right? And, and because utilitarianism tries to be objective, just do the math, right? So again, are all lives equally valuable? Utilitarianism usually says, oh, yes. Okay, then, five lives are more than one life? Yes, so go for the one, right? And that's usually the way that a lot of our conversations are being driven in artificial intelligence, Makes sense because, well, you know, we're going to find those problems. They're tangible. We can see them. We can envision five people versus one. We can envision the car going and choosing between babies in a, in a school bus or, or an elderly lady in a, in, a, in a Volkswagen, right? Or stuff like that. And I want to sort of come back and, and, and pull the curtain and say, look, when we're doing and we were focusing on ethics by just pointing at that, first, you already decided what kind of ethics the car will have. You already said the car was going to be a utilitarian car. Second, we already decided that it's lives that we ought to care about, which we should care about, but in the long, 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 long term, lives are not the only thing that matters, right? Because if you think about what I'm imagining in three, let's say a century from now, right? I'm not just caring about the lives. I'm caring about imagine. We all survive the AI, uh, what is it? Singularity. Singularity, right? We all survive it, but we're all slaves to it. (laughs) Uh, That's also not a desirable outcome, right? And one of the questions I want to ask going back is like, what do we want these things to do? What do we want this... Where do we want to deploy these things? So, it's not like... The problem that you're posing is not important, it's just that that is a short-term problem for Tesla and for the industry. But if you really want to talk ethics and you want to talk about humanity, the problems, the ethical problems of artificial intelligence are in the long run. And understanding what the problems are in the long run implies understanding the underlying structure of how these things work. Uh, Maybe, yeah, does that kind of address at least my position? I understand why you want to focus on those. Yes. So if I could offer
2: a slightly different, finish, slightly different perspective, (laughs) um, I think that. So your question was about. uh, uh,
4: Basically, I can ask it again in a different way. Yeah, ask it
2: again in a different way.
4: It's Hmm. it's it seems like you're focusing on machine learning and you are focusing on maybe more than machine learning? Are there, are you guys talking about multiple paradigms?
2: I believe so. So my paradigm is about the cognitive systems paradigm, where I think that intelligence is about understanding the system, right? That's an intelligent, well, we call these intelligent systems for a reason, right? Because the whole operating together is what gives you this intelligence Right? The the whole operating together, right? uh, interacting components, right? The, that operation together, uh, when you analyze the whole thing together, then you can understand intelligence. If you kind of drill down to this particular sub aspect of the system, you don't really get a full understanding of what intelligence is. So, for instance, you understand a lot about pattern matching, uh, but you don't understand, for example, uh, when the system is going to choose five people or one, right? Because sometimes you can assume it will choose five people I want. Uh, or maybe choose chooses some, some, some other outcome. Uh, so, I think, so if I was, I don't know if I, did I, it,
3: <laughs> can, I, can, I can I interject here just really quickly because you said sure. something that caught my attention. So he said, we call them intelligent systems for a reason, Correct. right? So I want to elaborate on that reason because, you know, to me, the reason was like, t- Threefold, right The first one was that for the first time, we were able to build machines that were working with tasks that were up till then considered to be only of human nature, nature right? a mm-hmm. cognitive tasks. We, mm-hmm. we had never done that before. Mm-hmm. right So we were, let's say, coming from a philosophical tradition in the Enlightenment, where we thought rationality, reason is what makes a human a human, mm-hmm. right? Rationality. That wasn't the case before, it's actually not the case now. But at that time, coming out of the 18th and 19th century, we thought reason and rationality, and especially doing math, is what makes humans human, right? So now you have this sort of skewed view where you say, like, now we're building a machine that can do those things that we thought were only human. Why does that ring like oh, it rings like intelligence? I think they might be intelligent. Okay, that's one, that's one kind of bias that the scientists had at the time. They were all enlightenment fetishists, right? They loved that sort of rationality, blah, blah. The second one was that a lot of them were computationalists. That is, they already thought that the brain was like a computer, and so Well, lo and behold, now you're building a computer that does what the brain does, but if the brain is a computer, we're building brains, oh my god, right? Okay, so that's the other one. So, third one, we started implementing these kinds of procedures with games, things like chess, things like checkers, right after the war effort, right? Because before the war, the place where we were implementing these efforts was on missile fire trajectory, right? Just because we needed to calculate whether our missile will hit the boat at, you know, and do differential equations and all that stuff. And then the last thing was what Simon mentioned in that footnote. It's just so much more appealing to call it artificial intelligence than complex information processing systems, right? So again, when you say, we call them intelligent for a re- intelligent systems for a reason, that's the reason. So I disagree with you, um, but I will let <laughs>
2: Uh, ask her question, but but if I could briefly, <laughs> maybe yeah. uh, no. okay. right, so, okay, right. I don't mind. Don't worry.
5: Well, okay, so <laughs>
2: I'll
6: ask call, my question. <laughs> we call it
2: artificial. So Herb Simon was one of the founders of the field of artificial intelligence, in yeah. the field artificial intelligence. Um, be, and according to him, right, it's artificial intelligence because we're interested. In how information, how we can reproduce the full range of intelligent behavior mm-hmm. as observed in humans. Yeah. So artificial intelligence isn't a name that we thought of just by itself, right? It's called artificial intelligence because it shares the same goals of in, of the study of intelligence, which mm-hmm. in itself is larger than learning, right? We don't. Nobody who studies intelligence only studies learning, right? That's True, right? All, <laughs> to be fair, Herbert
3: Simon called it, you know. We, and, and you're right, to a certain extent, it, it, we call it mimicry of cognition, right? So we were mimicking cognitive tasks. It, he, he, w- he didn't like the word intelligence for the systems, but he was with you in saying, I like the word cognition, and that's the kinds of things we're trying to emulate, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But again, he was a computationalist, so he already thought that the kinds of things we did were, were computations.
2: Well, sure, yeah so, the, yeah, so in the sense that the mind performs computations, sure, that doesn't mean that the mind is like a computer, like a one of these computers, because it's not based off of a binary sort of system. I mean, obviously, well, there's the neuron, which is binary, but it's not like it doesn't have like, a, like a, these. You know, um, it's not it doesn't have the same architecture as a computer. So yes, it performs computation, but it's it's like a computer in a limited way. And to make a computer like a mind, you have to build abstraction, right? Which is what we do with computer science.
5: Okay, so I have a question for Ramon, and just because I think it was one of the last things you said that you're, you're very interested in like artificial intelligence, and it has to do with that you think at some point just following, like when you were talking about the Spotify situation, right? Mm-hmm. So it struck me to me because it seems like, I don't even push my question too far, like it seems like you're saying that in some way these, how you say the complex data
3: complex information systems or in some
5: way are shaping our behavior. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's gonna be one of the the issues in the long run if actually we just keep on going with these these programs that it seems that they're gonna be changing our behavior in the same that in the way that maybe we're gonna become the type of humans that are not gonna be so good or we're not gonna be able to make decisions in some way. Because it seems that when you go and read some literature like for example the evolution of co- cognition, it seems that basically it happened the other way because we needed to evolve and mm-hmm. kinda of like survive. We needed to start developing this time like beliefs and preference in order to start like making decisions. So it seems that while you're saying that these problems are taking away those beliefs and preference, put them together like, oh, belief, preference. I'm gonna do this. Yeah. That's the word that you're so mind. So I I of?
3: think there's is there's, there's two th- aspects to that question that Catch my attention. The first one is that I cannot just say that I'm worried because this technology will shape our behavior If I said that then I would be against absolutely every technology, you know, like, like the one I'm sitting right now mm-hmm. Like these technology changed human behavior right I mean, we now, now we sit on chairs and we have tables, blah blah things <laughs> like that So I'm not worried just because of that. I think it's because it will shape our behavior, but in a very specific sense. And it does have to do with deliberation, and choice, Mm -hmm. and freedom, and ultimately, it's going to have to do with autonomy. Now, why? Well, I think we are slowly, we are creatures that love comfort, almost to an addictive Mm -hmm. level, right? Comfort is so hard to resist, right? And yet, we are developing these new comfort giving, I want to say technologies right? So if you, if you go back and read Sartre, he's going to tell you, you know what? One of the worst feelings in the world is when you don't know what to do and you're free to do whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? He calls it awful because it's so hard for us, but it's also one of the things that gives us the most meaning when we're trying to see what we can do and we can do what we want. And then we do it, such an achievement, right? We realized ourselves. Now we have the technology that's taking away that anxiety that actually chooses for us, right? When this technology chooses for us for little things, it's all right. But sooner or later, it's going to start choosing more and more and more. And ultimately, I was talking to Cameroon about this. It seems to me that the one thing we're giving away is not decision-making, but meaning-making there are a lot of tasks in these little choices that give humanity meaning, that gives us meaning. It's not mm-hmm. just about the result or the success, it's about the achievement, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same, you know, like, like that cliché idea, you have a mountain, you want to climb it to get to the top. Mm-hmm. You can either get on the helicopter or you can hike it, like, right? Like
5: okay.
3: Yeah, and, and you get on the helicopter and you succeeded, you got it, you got the result but you didn't achieve the result, you just got the result, right? In the same sense, every app, even the nice apps, the ones that are making me eat better, the ones that are making me exercise more, I think slowly they're they're kind of taking away some meaning-making capacities that I consider to be essential, not just for me, I'll probably won't survive that, but to the future generations like my son or his uh, daughters and... and and I'm afraid of mm-hmm. a, a species where meaning-making is already a, a machine-driven system, right? And it, there's this beautiful argument that I won't go through all the details, but it's basically, it's, if you believe that we're able to build specific task, artificial intelligence, specific task-oriented artificial intelligence systems that are better than us for that specific task, specific cognitive task mm-hmm. right you say yes okay great Well, because we have so far playing chess boom they're better right uh, driving boom they're better and they're all cognitive tasks right and then you say something like well is choosing a better life um, a, a deliberation a cognitive deliberation you
2: asking me yeah well, sure yeah. sure okay so then that's <laughs> yeah. a cognitive task yes. right so then
3: if we follow the idea that we will we are able to build specific cognitive task artificial systems that are better than us, then we will be able to build a better sort of life decision or well, better life uh, choosing uh, artificial intelligence system for ourselves, right? Think, and then you well, get the comfort I, part. I, yes. You get the comfort part, and you say like, well, you know, I could sort of break my head trying to live a good life, or I can press this button and it will tell me how to live it, and then I'll go for it, right? I'm exaggerating, of course, right, I'm exaggerating, but but it seems to me that ultimately, I I can envision particularly meaning-making being stripped away from the human species by very good artificial intelligence systems. Okay, can I respond? No, sure. Okay. And, then, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and okay, hopefully, hopefully, I responded to you. No, no. Yeah, it makes
5: it clear in the sense that you, it's not like shaping behavior in this sense, but like taking away the meaning of something. some. Behavior. Like human behavior.
2: Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So I would like to <laughs> offer a kind of cognitive systems perspective. I think I'm gonna. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna be a theme in every one of my responses. So in 2017, actually, uh, there was a DARPA proposal. DARPA stands for the, the Depart- Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, some government agency that's funding lots of stuff. Uh, in this case, it was artificial intelligence research, primarily because uh, they were concerned about these same sort of things. And they said, we have these very uh, capable performance systems, right? They can uh, act and do things that are very complex that humans don't understand. And they funded. Uh, research to actually kind of break open that black box mm-hmm. so that we can actually understand and observe the internal workings of these intelligent systems. Um, so I actually don't think that, I mean, I don't think the humans are just standing by like, oh, letting these AI systems like, do whatever they'd like. I think that humans are aware of the potential risks of just letting these kind of number statistical crunching systems you know, run free. Uh, the other thing I'd like to say is I think cognitive systems has a great deal to do with meaning making. So I did in my master's thesis on explainable autonomy, uh, where we had these intelligent systems uh, doing <coughs> complex tasks in Minecraft. And we made the assumption that you, as the player, you were wanting to collaborate with this agent and you have your own set of goals, and your, the, your computer counterpart has its own set of goals. You can't necessarily observe what the other agent is doing, but you're gonna trust that it's going to do the things that it needs to do, mm-hmm. while you go off and do the things that you do. Uh, my research was about, how do we get these intelligent systems to be able to come back to their users and explain to them their rationale mm-hmm. and their, their, their uh, desires for why they did the things they did. And I think that when we have notions of goals, beliefs, and intentionality, that enables uh, systems to be able to explain to users why they're doing things. And not only that, if these systems can explain their rationale, that reinserts meaning. Because humans are back into the loop. It's not that you just are at the mercy of these kind of uh, mindless Mm-hmm. Systems but they do have a mind right they can talk to you about why they did things and because of that you can actually learn right the, the, be, the, the behavior so for instance, imagine if the, the AlphaGo system, which is like the Google's AI mm-hmm. that beat the best player at go, which is like the super complicated game. imagine if AlphaGo could teach you how to play go right Not, that, that would be awesome right now that's a situation where you could set some sort of computational system mm-hmm. to learn about the game, and once it learns about the game, it could empower you to play the game, right? and that's what my research was yeah. about. So I don't necessarily believe that uh, artificial intelligence systems are going to uh, be the meaning suckers of mm-hmm. our lives. Right? I think that when we add cognitive components to these systems, then we can uh, uh, kind of bridge that gap, right? Into having a cooperative and beneficial relationship with artificial mm-hmm. systems. Uh, without that, then I think we run into dangers, but my contention is, uh, if you have some of these cognitive components, like the intentionality, the mm-hmm. beliefs, the goals, then you can enter into a beneficial relationship with artificial intelligence systems. So l- let me
5: see if I understood what. Mm-hmm. So you, you think, as in contrast with Ramon, that mm-hmm. in some sense, because you think it's possible to add these Human characteristics to the AI. Right. We we're kind of like securing that not taking away the meaning of certain things because in some way we're gonna be helping each other.
2: Exactly. So, for instance, suppose that the way that so for so, mm-hmm. so for instance, two people lifting a couch. Yeah. Right up a stairwell. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We have a common understanding about what we're trying to do. Right. We have a shared idea of get this couch mm-hmm. inside of the apartment, and we don't necessarily. Uh, for humans, right, we, we, we can communicate that goal, but we know implicitly, okay, we need to work together. Um, and because we're both cognitive systems, right, we can kind of get on the same level. Mm-hmm. But if we're not on the same level, then it's gonna be, somebody's gonna get hurt, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that cognitive systems helps artificial intelligence systems kind of get on the same playing field with humans more humans on the same thing
6: people like. Yeah.
4: Do that. Okay. yeah so
2: yeah I think, I think we have a question yeah um, so I was really
7: interested in like the word intelligence because mm-hmm. honestly um, it strikes me as something I mean it's a human construct mm-hmm. um, and in that way I think it was maybe developed because of human insecurity mm-hmm. so the idea that like intelligence is something that I'm endowed with because I'm a human or because I'm able to achieve my goals in some convoluted or sophisticated way mm-hmm. um, is a little troubling mm-hmm. because I think other animals um, also do that as well. Um, but from our perspective, it's not intelligent or it's less intelligent. Um, but like at the end of the day, I just wanna feel good. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so do other animals. Sure. So I think AI systems are in a lot of the ways um, already pretty intelligent. I mean, in terms of developing cognitive architectures that are relatable or human level in some way, it's like an interesting endeavor, Um, but my question is, um, does it make sense to continue um, developing these AI systems, and and whether that means um, continue specifying more sophisticated cognitive architectures or more uh, sophisticated machine learning algorithms, does it make sense to continue developing developing them uh, within a capitalistic society? And maybe we should regulate artificial intelligence um, advancements. Maybe that's a good idea to regulate that
2: um, until we have a change in values. So could I take a step at first? Yes, of course. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, I don't think that people are reward maximizers. I think that there are a lot of behaviors that people do, for instance, sacrifice, that is not about maximizing reward. So yeah, you might want to feel good, but I don't think that's your ultimate goal, right? Because people do things that don't make them feel good. the for instance, I'm in school, right? So, yeah, <laughs> that is very, that is very that is something that, yeah, I'm willing to right. spend a lot of time studying and not sleeping, you know, right? Uh, for the promise. For, uh, uh, you know, so I can achieve a, a goal, right? And that goal is, is useful to me, not necessarily because I feel good, but you know, because I can help other people uh, learn, right? Which will so, make you feel good. I mean, it's not necessarily about, I mean... It, it could be about, you know, feeling good, but I think that uh, the, these feelings uh, don't control cognition. Right? I think that feelings can help modulate how you think, but they don't change necessarily. Um, they're not the end-all be-all. Sure, but feelings yeah. are, you know, some
7: chemical emergent process. Sure. So, we may call it feeling or whatever, yeah. it is stimulus-driven. And sure. I honestly think that's statistics, or maybe it could be difficult. I mean, you could
2: call it a heuristic, right? right. Yeah.
7: But at the end of the day, I mean, I definitely think that if it didn't feel good or if there wasn't some promise of reward
2: at the base... Well, so, um, I think, and not not necessarily because maybe reward for other people, maybe. It feels good. (laughs) Right? But, uh, you know, I heard this, there was a Mm -hmm. story that there was a child who uh, was bleeding and uh, they were bleeding a lot and they were playing playground with other children and the teacher said, oh, we need, some, we need to draw somebody's blood to you know, put it back in the other child. And the child, one of the child raised his hands and said, oh, I will volunteer so people can draw my blood and you can you know, put it back in the other person. The child, when he said that, he thought he was actually going to die, right? So he didn't necessarily think that he was doing this for his personal reward, but he thought that he was doing this to help somebody else. And so that's what I mean by humans don't just do reward directed behavior, Um, so. I mean, I think you're correct,
7: Mm -hmm. however, uh, if I see something that is like me, Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's a sense of empathy Mm -hmm. um, that I generate, and uh, that empathy maybe isn't, um, I mean, I I don't feel good when I see that. Sure. I, in fact, feel like I'm going to die when I see that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that idea still could be grounded in wanting to protect myself. I mean, that feels better than not doing something that would potentially kill me.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure I'm following right now, um, but I would like to answer your other point about capitalism. Yeah, sure, regulate AI. I mean, I, I, I don't mind. <laughs> and, and, and sorry, maybe I should have been a little more clear,
7: but do you think we should regulate AI or um, until I mean I think the bigger problem is the framework around society and introducing this AI system into such a society that is principally based on growth for growth's sake or maximization. Mm-hmm. I mean that's I mean it, for what uh, I mean it, th-
3: that seems not intelligent actually. Well I mean. Let me take a stab at just a couple of things, right. The first one, of course, if you want to talk about intelligence um, If we reduce intelligence, or what we mean by intelligence, to the processing of cognitive tasks then yes, of course, even plants have it, right? Even plants are intelligent and this is not just some sort of wild theory, there are are good, um, you know, cognitive theorists and good philosophers of mind that do believe that even if intelligence is based on processing information at that level, of cognitive, then plants do it too, right? Now, let me just jump again and and, and tell you a little bit about, about what I feel is kind of worrisome in AI. So when you say, do we regulate AI and should we kind of put the brakes on AI? I think one of the things that we have to separate is where it is applied. Because AI is one of those beautiful (laughs) things that is bringing so much progress, right? So if you're doing astronomy, there's no way you can do astronomy without AI nowadays, right? It's so good at helping us understand the motions of our universe and stuff like that. If you're doing molecular biology, AI is helping a lot because pattern recognition, and all of that stuff, right? So, in a lot of even medical sciences, right? Just coupling chemicals to biological processes. So, pharmaceutical industry is also helping a lot. So, in those in those ways, I don't think. I, I mean, I don't think we we ought to regulate AI. There, where we ought to regulate it finance. is <laughs> sorry finance. It's finance. in human affairs. It's in it's in human data, right? Because if you think about what the kind the the amount of data that's being produced nowadays, about 90% out of that huge amount of data is human data. It's mainly, out of that 90%, a huge chunk is consumer behavior data, right? That means not just what you buy, <coughs> but how you buy it, when you buy it, when you're not buying, where you're located, where you're going, when you're buying it, you know, all of those things. And ultimately, you you, you, you can You can see the marriage of of a couple of ideas, right? So, Weiner was one of the people along with with Simon that were developing this technology in the early 50s, right? And he wrote a very influential book that in the United States is translated, uh, I think, the, The Human Use of Human Beings, right? He also happens to be one of the first people that wrote the books on control systems. Because he thought all systems are data systems that ought to be managed like we steer a ship, right? That's where the the concept of cybernetics comes from. Cybernetics is a play on a Greek word that has to do with the person that steers the ship, right? Now, he thinks all systems, all physical systems can be harnessed if we just look at them in terms of data. Or Systems. systems. That's systems theory he invented. Right. Okay, so now he looks around he's like, okay, i dealt with science, I've dealt with physics. Guess what else is a system? Human behavior. Boom, he publishes the human use of human beings and applies the same kind of thinking onto that. Who is the first people to take control of that systems thinking that is not in, let's say, the hard sciences or computer science? Sociologists. Well, I would like to think that, but they were marketers
8: right, there were ma- marketers way. and
3: economics, right, and then later on the sociologists and the anthropologists, right, you're right, but it's good to get like the order of things because sure. then you see the genealogy of a ideology, right, and you or start seeing it's like, wait, so why do we need so much data on humans if it's not to do something with it, and what do most people want to do with it, they, they have the power, well, they wanna use that power, right? They wanna beer, they wanna sometimes they even wanna do it for, for, for nice things. So one of the first implementations of AI in the Obama administration was to make sure that we had a really good system of health in the education system, especially food that we were giving to kids, you know, and stuff like that. And so he got a lot of computer scientists <coughs> and artificial intelligence and some sociologists and economists to do nudge theory right? Nudge theory is the idea that you don't have to force people to do things, you can just build environments that nudge them into doing them of their own, right? So he was doing it for the good, right? So that kids would eat more healthy without even having to push them because the environment was built in such a way that well, who else does that? Marketers do that, right? And so you start seeing that I, you start seeing my fear in that I think AI is Excellent for science. I think AI is excellent. Maybe sometimes even in in this industry to optimize certain things, but other things are very It's like a swamp of danger Mm. right there, right? And one of those things is human behavior. When we're gathering so much data, you know, and we're doing facial recognition on that data, and that data happens to be our citizens, and then we couple legal systems to that same system, and then you get all these beautiful systems, and you get a control system to see how can we arrange this data in a manageable way, actionable way, and you get China, right? Who right now, is using artificial intelligence, facial recognition. And data systems, in order to nudge people into the behavior that the Communist Party wants them, or thinks is the proper Chinese behavior, right? That's a fear of mine. Um, and, and so maybe I just wanted to sort of share share those two things. That uh, regulate data, I'm right. not sure how you. I mean, regulate artificial intelligence. I'm not sure how you do that, but for sure we ought to separate the uses in science, right? And then the uses in yeah, what okay. I call socially consequential context. Right, and I, and I think um, that's an important
7: distinction because these AI systems, these training systems, are very useful in discovering things about our natural world. Um, but like, NSF-NIH funds certain projects because of the story that these researchers tell about the potential applications. I mean, just for the sake of knowledge, is something I think we should pursue, and what under a capitalistic society, if it doesn't make money or make more, then is it really that, I mean, this is the the separation between um, classical AI and what is now machine learning. Machine learning turns out to be very um, useful in generating all sorts of solutions to understanding what I need to give this person, what this person wants, if I have like enough data, mm-hmm. data may be biased. I don't care. This just is what I think the system is. What I think um, needs requires. So that's sold to people as like convenience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's convenient to just get music at you. And uh, to your point about like meaning, I think that's maybe more creativity. And I don't think we'll lose creativity, but much like the industrialization. Mm-hmm. Um, creativity um, gets stamped out for the sake of, I don't know, getting better at chess or whatever insecurity these nations had, you know what I mean? Like um, making music, doing art, can AI do that? Sure, I mean. It, but the ability for a human to um, deliberate or think or abstract and put things together may be something that we lose under these environments that. So, so, so when. Uh, the, the, the most recent um, Nobel Prize winner in economics. When he says, yes, um, we've shown you that uh, under this nudge theory, this behavior economics, uh, we can get people to do what's good for them. it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Good, good for us or good for you and the people you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, who decides what's good for them? Right. You know? So maybe that is like something that needs to be done in the future or, I, I mean, I've, obviously it's done to now, but when you join a society or some community, some yeah. culture,
3: then you subscribe to their set of values. What's good? I mean, And, and I think that's exactly so the last point in, in the piece that I wrote for this was that I think that's exactly where, where the ethical dilemmas are. In artificial intelligence. It's not just you know whether a car would kill one or the other person, it's more like what do we want it to do? What do we want artificial to do? Because that also reflects values. And ethics is about value, it's about deliberating on what we value, right? What is a good life, what is a conducive to a good life. And so maybe by reassessing what we're doing with AI, then we can develop deploy it in the way that you were saying. It's like how can we use AI to help us achieve those values that we that we love, right? Instead of just fearing it and or going for it blindly, right? We can we can sort of blend in and help help it help us Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, kind of
8: yeah so I I wanna take us back uh, a second to this concept of of meaning. Because when you say why because A.I. is being used to dictate our behavior or decision-making for us. It takes away meaning in some sense. And then you, you have, instance, well, in China, they're using this to make people be better. Chinese people going to some standard. What I'm hearing is the billion or so Chinese people affected by these systems are having meaning in their life taken away in some mm-hmm. sense. I think, well, it's got to be false to, to some extent. Yeah. It's not yeah. the only thing that gives us meaning. There's, there's a variety of things. I also take problems with the issue with the idea that what we're seeking and what we're gonna want AI to produce for us is for us to be comfortable. I don't know if human beings really want to be incredibly comfortable. But why why do we we live with comfort? Maybe that's the one thing that we have to question. Do we really? I I think we. I think we like unpredictability to some extent. I think we like chaos to some extent. you have tests where they'll put someone in a room with nothing to do and they'll have like a a button or something in the room and the person, they have them just sit there for a while to wait and they'll touch the button. They'll get an incredibly powerful shock. It really hurts them and they'll pull back. And then if you leave them sitting for a few more minutes, they'll touch it again. Yeah. So they want something going on. We, we want some kind of stimuli. So I think it's more likely that AI is gonna do something like this. I'm going to, in a way, say, look, I have a goal. I want to climb a mountain and then I ask the AI system, what steps do I need to reasonably take to start doing that? And it runs through all the statistical data about who I am and the factors related to me, and it says, well, you gotta start small, you gotta do these steps, do these steps, do these steps, and then eventually, I climb the mountain. And you could say, well, I achieved something and has meaning because I chose to climb the mountain. Now, switch to your 100 years in the future, the AI says, you know what? would make you feel really good Ben, climbing a mountain. So here's the kind of steps that you should do to get to that point. I still have to get up, I still have to do the work, I still have to put that in, and I still have to climb the bloody mountain. Mm-hmm. So then to say that the achievements lost meaning just because it was suggested to me by the AI system, and right. I thought, that seems unreasonable. So so we just, really quick, so I I, I think
3: we have it two things really quickly. So <laughs> when I said, you know, some of these applications will kind of take meaning away and then when I gave the surveillance state example of China those I I didn't mean those to be one following the other or you know like I mean I was just the second example of China was more on control systems Mm -hmm. and data gathering uh, Mm -hmm. procedures of our times Mm -hmm. right Um, now going back to, to the other stuff I have Maybe the commitment, and maybe this is what you're challenging, the commitment to saying that even the the deliberation, even the finding out what the best way of doing the thing is, is what gives something meaning. And sometimes, actually, I will do it very badly. I will fail. I would actually not find the optimal solution to climb that mountain. And guess what? That gives you meaning. The next time I try it, Maybe I'll be better. Maybe I'll fail again. That gives you meaning. So, again, so think about this, right? Starbucks comes around and decides that we're going to standardize the coffee-making experience. And it makes a great coffee, super fast, and it's everywhere. But it took away, let's say, what the Greeks do with coffee, which is sit there for hours with a really bad coffee just having conversations, (laughs) right? So, I mean, there's some things that could be optimized some things that should be optimized, some things that shouldn't, right? So, and I think some of our decision-making processes are, shouldn't be optimized because it is in the process of maybe us figuring it out that they give us meaning. So again, because it's not just about getting your steps down, it's not about just reaching the mountain, it's about
8: maybe failing at it. So let's move, move from the mountain example to a more, you know, Let's say I have issues with my car, which I currently do, and I want to figure out how to fix my car. I sure as hell on a system to tell me how to do that properly. There's no meaning in me fixing my car. Well, what that tells me is, look, I don't know enough about cars. And definitely, now I don't have a car that works. So to say, like that gives zen me additional meaning, right? <laughs> 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 <You> definitely <laughs> never
3: read that book.
8: <laughs> I mean, I, I, is it I, the I, art
3: of Zen and zen is the art
8: of motorcycle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, so maybe there's some Zen in like performing these routine maintenance processes and things like that. But I think the, the idea that me trying to perform some complicated mechanical operation on my car that I've never done before. And there's value in me just trying it and screwing it up. No, that's making things worse for myself. The value would be to actually learn how to do it. And the achievement would be to show myself that I can follow the proper steps and procedures for fixing the damn thing. Right. And I don't know why that wouldn't be meaningful or valuable.
1: There's, yeah. uh, there's something, David, you were saying <laughs> earlier about uh, the, uh, the way that... Uh, Intelligent systems can explain their reasoning to us mm-hmm. that seems relevant to this line of thinking because uh, the, the mountain example seems like a conversation with a friend mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. another you know, intentional entity right, right. that uh, is giving you good reasons for doing the thing you want to do. Right. And that kind of conversation is valuable. Right. Uh, you can benefit from that relationship with the entity that's right, telling right. you these things. Uh, were you saying something about like, imposing this uh, view of uh, a cognitive system as a uh, as an intelligence on it uh, for this purpose of uh, it better being able to interact with us and and so allowing re- us so to understand? Can repeat it? I don't know. well, it's. Uh, If we're in a relationship with an intelligence, right. uh, we can uh, benefit from conversation with it. We can Correct. develop understanding. Right. Uh, we're not uh, controlled by it. Correct. Uh, so it seems like you were suggesting, when you were uh, describing the the Minecraft scenario, right? Uh, this uh, way of collaborating, right. and that somehow uh, thinking of the system as an intelligent. Uh, entity with its own goals and attributing uh, to it the things we would attribute to other humans Mm -hmm. helps you to understand its purposes and might help it to uh, have a a beneficial relationship. Exactly, yeah, yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. So is that kind of escaping the question of whether it is an intelligence Um, and sort of applying to it? Intel characteristics of intelligence that that are beneficial to us? Right, so
2: so good question, and my answer to that is no, because I believe that part of intelligence is about how you represent information. So I don't believe, so obviously you can represent information in a bunch of different ways, so you can say I'm going to represent all the data in a table, that's one way, that's one representation. Or the other, you can. I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of. a loose structure, right? Or you can say I'm going to not represent the data in a very structured way at all. I'm just going to have free-form text. Right? That's one way you could. Have. It's not going to be conducive for processing, but you could do it like that, right? But we care about how information is represented so that it can help the cognitive process. And so what I mean by having like beliefs, goals, and attention, I really mean. Having a system that has some sort of knowledge base that it can use to recognize uh, relationships in the world, right, and have a way of inferring the truth of these relationships and holding those in memory and being able to use its beliefs about the world to
1: justify its actions. But at that point, does it matter whether describing it in those terms is just a description for this complex system of tables. I see and I see operations. so so I
2: guess I'm
1: my my
2: my argument is that it would it would think with these representations it would not necessarily think about the mm-hmm. it would not process the columns and rows it would actually think using the perceptions the beliefs and goals and intentions and then if it can remember those plans it can Explain to you its behavior in that way, and the reason why I think that's that's useful is because that's how humans think, right? We have intentions, we have intentionality, and that by by going through these sorts of disc, like you know conversations with people, like oh why did you do this? Oh well I did it because I was trying to do achieve this goal, right? I mean typically people when you know people talk about stories, they either talk about them from like an actions based perspective, like oh I did this first and then did that, or like for instance uh, I drove my car. Uh, I got out of the car and I sat in class. Or I can say, well, you know, I got in the car, I parked my car at the church, and then I went down the hill and I, you know, sat for class, you know, uh, or you can describe it from an actions perspective or you can you know, describe it from like a goals perspective. Mm-hmm. But those, the reasons why we do that is because they help humans kind of chunk the information that's being given to us, and those chunks, those are themselves meaningful units, and that's what we understand best, right? And when he, when artificial intelligence systems do that, that empowers us, not, not control us. Uh,
6: Could,
3: oh, sorry, No, go ahead, John.
6: Well, I, I was just trying to bring this discussion at a different level. Mm-hmm. You know. wow. All right. One more step, let's do yeah, it. Well, <laughs> let's, let's. My, my, my feeling is that we're dealing with the how, okay? We, we get a pretty much a good picture of of where we are heading, Uh, and my point is, as far as artificial intelligence is concerned, I think the two spaces out of the two, Mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen, whether we want it or not, okay? Um, Then, we are trying to mimic human behaviors, right? And having artifacts mimic human behaviors. My question is, where already we have unethical humans? Mm-hmm. How do we keep those artifacts from being unethical? Mm-hmm. So that's for you to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's great that's, <laughs> that,
3: that's a great question, and I'll address it by... By telling you what people are doing now and then telling you how I disagree with it, right? So what people are doing now is just coming out with checklists of principles that either we code into the program or principles of design by which the industry itself ought to regulate itself, right? So they go and see, do I have full knowledge of the consequences of this technology, yes or no, right? That's the way the the industry can kind of regulate what is developing, right? Or you can do, like I said earlier, you can program the kinds of things that you're supposed to do, right? But that already is super biased because which ethical system are you going to use? Are you going to use Asimov's three rules of robotics, right? Or are you going to use utilitarian ethics? Or you're gonna use deontology or or virtue ethics, right? Which one are you gonna do? And th- so that's a huge problem that I think none of us has any idea. Why? Because it's so new, it's 50 years old, let's say 60 years old, maybe 70 if you wanna push it back to the 50s and you wanna say that it was already happening then, right? But in reality, full-fledged autonomous technology only kicked out, you know, kicked it started moving around after the 60s so 50 years 60 years of, of work now look at how long it has taken us to deal with unethical humans about 5000 years or so if you consider the torah one of the first attempts right that the, the jewish bible let's say it's 6000 years right i mean it was an attempt to regulate humans uh, uh, sorry not humans unethical humans right so It seems to me that we have a long way to figure out how we're (laughs) gonna hopefully not not millennia, right? But at least at least a few decades before we realize that maybe the only ethical way to deal with unethical AI is by figuring out how to be ethical ourselves in industry. So no, just one last thing just because I need to pitch my, my thing, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, think, no, I, yeah. I think knowledge knowledge is going to be super important so part of being ethical is knowing the consequence knowing what you're working with knowing your past too right all of those things Unfortunately with these systems and that's what I, what I see as a huge threat I know you don't think this but they're opaque in a way that no other machine has ever been in the history of humanity, right? Uh, except natural forces. And that's going to be a huge challenge, because try figuring out the unintended consequences of billions of lines of code. Right? No way. No way. Not in lifetime, not in the age of the universe can you do that even with automated processes. Right? Try figuring out who is responsible. And who is to be held accountable in a system that took 30 companies and 3,000 people putting it together? No way that you can point a finger as to who is responsible. So again, moral challenges are going to be of a different kind than we've ever faced before. You might say, well, if they're going to be similar to the way we've, say, faced unethical in, in humans. Well, yeah, but this is the first time that an artifact gives us the same challenges that humans have given us. The the other thing is that whenever we teach those artifacts
6: to do something, they get better at it. Yeah. Than humans. Yeah. They're going to be more unethical
3: than we (laughs) are. Or they're going to be more (laughs) more ruthless.
2: (laughs) So, I mean, I I do have a problem, for instance, with, uh, you know, opaque systems. I mean, I I think I might have mischaracterized my point. I think that there are real dangers of having with relying uh, on opaque systems because you can't understand them, um, but I was trying to make the point that, okay, well we are trying to do something about it now, so I don't think we'll actually get to that point where we're kind of hamstrung by these kind of uh, mindless systems. Um, but to your point, how do we prevent uh, artificial systems from being unethical? I don't think you can to be honest uh, so I think that this is something that we're going to have to manage and think about careful strategies. I think that the responsible thing to do, as, as Ramon said, they don't have today currently these systems, they don't have um, knowledge, at least the, 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 the mainstream AI systems are not knowledge-based systems. They're just statistical uh, pattern recognizers. Uh, and because of that, it's hard to assign blame, um, as, as Ramon was saying. I think that. A, a, a situ- if we were to give these systems knowledge and intentionality, then we can really start to assign blame to them because they actually did think of something and they made a plan and they executed that plan. Then you could say, okay, this system is responsible for doing something in the world. Or you could say, maybe not the system, but maybe the person who made the system is responsible because you can understand, okay, what processes did the programmer like input? And so there's some level of accountability there, but if you just have these black boxes, it's really hard to uh, really do much. And so that's you know, why I think you need
3: cognitive systems. So, do you mind if I oh, just, go, go. so there's, and again, I don't know the authors, but I'll give you two little things that you make me think of that I love recently, if we have time, do we have time? Yeah, absolutely. So the the first one is an essay, and I hope you can find it just by googling the name. It's called, What Matters to a Machine? Mm -hmm. This essay is written on the assumption that at some point, it doesn't matter what we want the machine to do, because if they're smart enough, they're going to figure out what they want to do, right? And what, what values they ought to value. And so, ultimately, it's almost like the machine will figure out its own ethics, right? The other... Paper. I can't remember the name of the of the paper, but I remember the name of the author his and his last name is Hall. He has this beautiful argument where he says, look, we accept, I think I said it earlier, we accept that we're building things, machines that are getting better at any specific cognitive task than us. Guess what is a cognitive task? Moral deliberation, right? Moral deliberation is a cognitive task, so therefore we will build the machine. That is better at moral deliberation than us. Okay, Now, look at all the moral theories, including religions, that we've ever had in human history. And they all call to us as a moral duty to cherish and help build a better moral world through better moral entities. Therefore, it is our moral duty to construct the super moral machine. (laughs) <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a beautiful argument that yeah. I hate. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's <amazing laughs> you it makes me feel well, whizzing, but it's exactly. beautiful. And if you yeah. read the paper, of course, it's not as dry as I put it, it's actually a beautiful paper. Yeah. So yeah, I just put it in premise one, premise two, blah, blah, blah. But it, it made me think of those two things. One, we're going to have to figure out what a machine, what matters to a machine. Second, like, we might have to figure out, do we want machines to do morals for us? And the third, just the third point I was talking to Cameron about this earlier, is like, a lot of the times we focus on whether a moral machine will... Wh- whether we will know when a machine is intelligent if it can figure out what to do, right? But it seems that we haven't figured out what to do and we're intelligent. So, you know, wouldn't it a better mark say like the moment that the machine read Kant, that the machine read Aristotle, that the machine read Mills, and came to the conclusion that ah, he has no clue what to do. <laughs> 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 well, that moment is going to be like, ah, oh, you're smart, man. <laughs> and them, now you can say you're intelligent because he realized how difficult ethics is. <laughs> right? Does that kind of?
6: Yeah, uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but yo, I got programs that crash all the time. I know, but that's like confusion. That's not the same as human yeah, right? error. I don't know what it is, but it's just bad programming, right? <laughs> I don't, I'm kidding, I'm no, kidding. No, 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 um, but I mean,
7: who assumes that we'll develop a perfect system? Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, I, as, as you know, since you're a programmer, there's no such thing as a perfect system, right? And I think, again, that maybe that's why we should focus on machines that can realise how confused they are (laughs) and not how smart they are. Right? Because I think that's a mark of humanity. Like when when we come to the point where it's like I don't understand you or I don't understand morals. Or I don't understand this thing that religion told me and I have to reassess and then I have to live my life with that confusion that's intelligence yeah. right I mean yeah in a very yeah, in a very yeah, that's in what the,
0: God one. told Socrates right sorry yeah. that's what the God told Socrates right <laughs> the, 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 this one of you is why is too like Socrates knows that he knows nothing exactly <laughs> the cat and the vices yes right yeah like cats don't have existential vices
8: they just don't give it they just the cat figures out what it wants to do it just doesn't Right? So, I was going to say the opacity concern, mm-hmm. right? You have this idea that somehow the machine giving us this theological reason, this end goal, this is what I was trying to do, and this is what I wanted to do, to, this is what I did to get to that. Somehow that's going to up the opacity. I don't think it does. Because all you're saying is, on top of all the processes the machine's doing, we're adding this additional process, will it dumbs down its reasoning to the extent that it can give us some basic, simple, oh, yeah, you know, you just do that, and then you do that, and then you do that. That's not what the machine did. Right? What the machine did was very complex and opaque. So just from what what you would be doing, I think, in that way, is just to have the machine, like act as though it's thinking in the same way we are when it's actually acting in this really opaque way we can't possibly understand. And I don't see how that helps with the poem at all, it just makes us feel comfortable. There's this thing called representational opacity that applies
3: particularly to machine learning algorithms. And the representational opacity refers to the fact that the way at which these things arrive at the results is so unlike the way we arrive at results. the way that they arrive at results is also so unrepresentational, like there's no way for even humans to imagine how to begin to represent the process. And so it's opaque, not just in the fact that it's hard to get, it's opaque in that the way it does it is almost so alien to, mm-hmm. to, to humans, right? So and, that's so, and that's of course not with all software, but with machine learning mm-hmm. algorithms particularly. Okay, just quick,
4: this, the quickest
3: question, I kind of hope. What is intelligence? <laughs> Big question uh, first.
4: Okay, so, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of terms thrown around, like machine Sorry. learning and opaque and cognitive systems. Is there a difference between machine learning and cognitive systems? And if so, what is it? And if, it, and if it, maybe if there's other ones, throw those out there, too. Just yeah. so we can have. I know it's kind of right towards the end, but maybe we should have started. Like a closure, yeah,
2: yeah. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of offer my perspective. So machine learning is about pro- having an algorithm. Uh, well, it's about first of all, it's about learning, right? So what I mean by learning, well, it's basically what Ramon was talking about earlier, right? You have an algorithm that observes data, and you have you told the algorithm that you want the da- You want to organize the data in some way. So either you want to, let's say, there's a couple different tasks. One is classification, the other one is regression. So classification is this, right? There's two different groups in the data, two or more, and you want the algorithm to be able to identify what elements of the data belong to what group. That's classification. Regression is basically line of best fit. And so when we're talking about machine learning, we are talking about a system that can fit some sort of decision boundary that minimizes its error when it makes classification or minimizes its error when it's doing this regression. That's machine learning. So uh, it's purely on the featural level, right? No abstraction. You have the data, you process the data, you get a decision boundary over that data, that's it. Cognitive systems, Includes machine learning, certainly, but it's broader than that, right? Because cognitive systems is about understanding the nature of intelligence. Well, it's about participating in our effort to understand the nature of intelligence, where intelligence is about information processing in general. So obviously humans process information, cats process information. We want to understand, right, we want to understand what are the basic principles of intelligence. How do we Understand the world around us, and how do we take our understanding to achieve goals? I think goals is the is 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 the key here because we act towards an end, right? And cognitive systems is about understanding how artifacts that people make, right? Art, that's why they're artifacts. Can um, do the same thing, right? How do artifacts have goals and how do they uh, operate to achieve them? So learning is part of that, but I think that um, one of the uh, key aspects of cognitive systems research is perception. So how do we perceive data? How do we conceptualize data? How do we nominate goals? So we have our, our world. How do these systems know what to pursue? And four, how do they act towards their end? So that's cognitive systems. And I mean, learning, you can have learning in each of these different components, but you have to understand, learning is not the goal of these individual components. Like, learning is a part of these things, but it's not the whole thing.
4: So if you've got, so, so far my understanding is this, there's something called artificial intelligence. Underneath that umbrella, there's something called cognitive systems. Underneath that umbrella, you've got something called machine learning. So, so, I guess, when
2: the term cognitive systems came out, it came out... After, sure. Right? No, 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 but, but in, in the spirit of reclaiming the original aim of Articum. AI, of artificial intelligence. So in my view, there's cognitive systems research, and then inside of that, there's machine learning, um, and then that's, that's the space.
4: So then when you're talking about cognitive systems... What are the com- what other components have you brought up tonight that are similar to machine learning? You know, like when you're looking at the oh, like what are blocks. the subfields? Yeah.
2: So percep- so perception. So how do we, for instance, like uh, for computer vision, that's that's an idea of perception. So how do computers see? That's perception. Other one would be planning. So how can computers make plans? Other one would be language. How do computers understand language? Can computers speak? And by what mechanisms would that be? So these are all different subfields of artificial intelligence. Um, another one would be um, you know, goal reasoning. So how do these systems think about goals and what how do they prioritize them? Right, so there's a bunch of different areas, or, or another one would be, so there's another one. Uh, suppose I want so, theory of mind would be another one, right, where you have systems that are able to perceive actions of other agents and make inferences about the internal state of those systems. And so, these are all different subfields, or we would call it, I guess, in artificial in intelligence, we call theory of mind plan activity and, and attention recognition. Right? So, these are all different subfields of the general <coughs> AI umbrella.
4: So, then when you're talking about <coughs> opaque systems, which ones of those are considered opaque all, all of them or mm-hmm. some of them so so
2: typically the machine learning systems are considered <clears throat> opaque because they are based off of probability and statistics where the 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 the, 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 the algorithm right the that, that produces the the knowledge is incomprehensible
4: right the, the it's analytically Intractable, yeah. So then when you say that about machine learning, is that to the exclusion of the other subfields that you've mentioned?
2: Um, so if those systems don't rely on
3: these sorts of statistical things, then yeah. I want to say that in my view and in my research, actually every single software system, software-based system, is opaque. <coughs> just in a different kind or degree. Right. So you might have representational opacity at machine learning level, but you have technical opacity at any software level. The the fact that a lot of these processes, especially since the 60s, rely on more lines of code than is possible to ever check for error, right? So there are no error assessment techniques that can go through all of the lines. Now you might say some of these techniques can assess (coughs) error Statistically, they can just get a sample and then get 10 lines of code and see whether there's error there and then have a rate of error, right? But when you have a program that is a million lines of code, what does a 100 tell you about the overall reliability of the code, right? So, in my view, and this is part of my research, uh, epistemic opacity in software systems goes all the way to the bottom level, like literally to the algorithm level. And then there's software level, and then there is, you know, machine learning level, and there's artificial intelligence level. And And at every given point, you're going to have a different kind of opacity, and some of them, some of those opacities will be less easy to surpass. Mm -hmm. Some of it, for me, is like, we've reached a point in humanity where we won't ever be able to check specific error on the kinds of systems that we rely on. Well, so that they're
6: that, opaque. So. That that includes the the operating system, machines, exactly. it, it yeah, yeah, yeah. And and
3: Unless you do really, really careful proof yeah. level software, like proof level something that each each one of the lines is done, and that takes so much, so many people, so much time. And we rely on old systems, so there's a lot of legacy um, technology that we will never be able to do that with. And so it would be like we have to start from scratch and it would be almost impossible, right? Even, even just air control systems for the airports. There's no way we can stop it. We have to patch it. The only mm-hmm. way is to patch it. We can never go back and try to mess with a little function because we might mess the whole thing, right? So again, it, some of it is technical opacity, other is essential opacity. That means it's impossible for any cognitive agent like a human, or even an alien, or even another computer, to go and check for reliability and do a proper error assessment on them. So, if your question is like, at what level do we find opacity? All of them.
0: Okay.
3: I agree. Um, just the different <laughs> levels. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, yeah. When I don't know if Instagram for for extra questions we want to, but we I want to thank our panelists for. Uh, This fantastic conversation that they've they've helped spur
3: so. so Thanks for inviting me. Thank Thank you so much.